0: Is Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse the best movie of the year? Welcome back to Nerdist News. I'm Dan Casey, and today we're leaping headfirst into the wild world of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. The highly anticipated sequel hits theaters this Friday, and critics are already hailing it as a triumph. The reviews are out and they are overwhelmingly positive. Over on Nerdist, Joshua Mackey wrote that Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse's thrilling action sequences, beautiful animation, and robust stories will make MCU fans and general moviegoers get lost in a universe that they may not want to escape. Now, I had the distinct pleasure of seeing this movie earlier in the week, and I'm not just inclined to agree, but I'm ready to say that Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse is the best movie of the year. Period. Now, granted, we're not even halfway into the year yet, and there will be a slew of Oscar-baiting films dropping this fall, but if they can come even close to the way Across the Spider-Verse made me feel in the theater, it's gonna be a phenomenal year for movies. Because not only does Across the Spider-Verse build and improve on the original film, but it elevates the multiverse concept in a way that none of its comic book compatriots have been able to do thus far. Oh, crap. Now, we're gonna delve into what exactly sets this film apart from the rest in just a moment. And while we aren't going to get too deep into major plot points, if your spoiler sense is tingling, well, maybe you should leave now before it's too late. You gotta go, man. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Let me make one thing perfectly clear. This movie kicks unbelievable amounts of ass. Directors Joaquin Dos Santos, Kemp Powers, and Justin K. Thompson had the unenviable task of following up a beloved Oscar-winning movie, and they knocked it out of the park. The animation team took off their Rock Lee leg weights and they went berserk. They refined the franchise's signature style into expertly rendered action sequences, dazzling landscapes, and enough unique Spider-Mans to make Uncle Ben a multiversely endangered species. Phil Lord, Christopher Miller, and David Callaham's script builds on the emotional framework of the first film and pushes everything to its breaking point and beyond. They understand not only the core of what it means to be Spider-Man, but also what makes Miles Morales such a special character, especially in the modern canon. Miles isn't just the latest in a long line of Peter Parkers. He's a new Spider-Man for a new generation who's charting his own course. But as the movie makes painfully clear, he is intrinsically bound to all of the other spider people across the Spider-Verse. Now, Across the Spider-Verse picks up roughly a year and change after the events of Into the Spider-Verse. Miles is back to being New York City's one and only friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. And while he's more comfortable in his role as a costumed crime fighter, he's also feeling more alone than ever, especially now that his pals have returned to their respective dimensions. After all, being Spider-Man isn't exactly something he can openly talk about with his parents. Naturally, things get exponentially more complicated and more multiversal thanks to the arrival of The Spot. Played by Jason Schwartzman, this goofy-looking villain is something of a scientist himself, and he has a surprising connection to Miles Morales. The holes on The Spot's body aren't just for clever visual gags, they also have major ramifications for the multiverse as we know it. What follows is an unexpected reunion for Miles with familiar faces like Gwen Stacy and Peter B. Parker, plus a crop of new spider people led by Miguel O'Hara, AKA Spider-Man 2099. This not-so-friendly multiversal task force fills a similar role to the Time Variance Authority in Loki. They help stop threats that endanger not just one reality, but the Spider-Verse as a whole. It's a sprawling organization that includes too many Spider-People to count in a single viewing. Jessica Drew, Spider-Man India, Spider-Punk, PS4 Spider-Man, Scarlet Spider, the Bombastic Bag Man, Web Slinger, and Widow the Spider-Horse. The list goes on and on and on. And while it's definitely an elaborate setup to put the Spider-Man pointing meme to rest once and for all, the Spider-Verse here is used as the framework through which to tell Miles' coming of age story. And despite the Spider-Verse being an engine of infinite possibilities, Miguel O'Hara's stance is that all the Spider-People present are fundamentally cut from the same cloth. They are variants of each other with shared experiences, rather than standing apart as wholly unique entities. And there is an element of truth to that. They're all Spider-People. They recognize that with great power comes great responsibility, and they can all do whatever a Spider can. But for Miles, the idea that he is not the author of his own story is anathema to his sensibilities, and it puts him distinctly at odds with his peers. And as you'll see in the film, there's a lot more to it than that. But suffice to say, the conflict between fulfilling one's destiny and charting one's own course is the crux of this movie, and it plays out powerfully over its two hour plus runtime. And a quick side note, the film's runtime is the biggest complaint I've seen thus far from critics, and it isn't one that I share, but your mileage may vary. Across the Spider-Verse isn't necessarily telling a story we've never seen before. Rather, it's taking something familiar and doing it that much better. A superpowered individual wants to prevent a tragedy from happening, or to protect his loved ones, or to stop something that's supposedly destined to happen. It's a narrative that was at the heart of Spider-Man No Way Home, with Peter Parker's desire to protect his family by making the world forget his secret identity. It's at the heart of The Flash, which drops in a couple of weeks. That movie puts a fresh spin on the classic Flash Flashpoint storyline in which Barry Allen tries to stop his mother's murder by going back in time to prevent it from happening. What sets Across the Spider-Verse apart, though, is that it doesn't portray what Miles wants to do as inherently selfish. Rather, he is optimistic amid a sea of cynicism. Now, in part, this is a metatextual reaction to fandom and the notion of who can be the real Spider-Man. Animation guru Johnny Tuchelos interviewed the directors of Across the Spider-Verse for Nerdist, and they spoke about how the film's ruminations on what constitutes canon was a direct response to people out there that don't accept Miles Morales as the quote-unquote real Spider-Man. I remember when Miles Morales' comic book first came out, there were people who were rejecting Miles as a character, you know, for their reasons, and you know, but like, obviously that you know that's not how we think it should be and we wanted to talk directly to that and actually like almost stick it to that mentality of no anyone can wear the mask and there is and and if spider-man is a character that is owned by the entire world the entire world should be represented in that character right now, thankfully, no matter what aspect of Spider-Man you identify with most, you'll probably find some representation here and across the Spider-Verse. But beyond the film's narrative achievements, I also wanna to touch on its dazzling feats of artistry. From its frenetic fight scenes to cleverly deployed first-person POV shots to quieter moments with characters set against vast cityscapes, this movie is a non-stop visual feast that demands repeat viewings, especially if you wanna unlock all of its many, many secrets, gags, and details. The film's use of color in particular is uncanny in the way it conveys both action and tone. In Spider-Gwen's world, for example, the color palette is constantly shifting and reacting to the emotional undercurrent of the scene. It's kind of like a mood ring. It's evocative of iconic anime series like Jojo's Bizarre Adventure, where sudden and dramatic shifts in the color palette underscore the subtext of a scene and heighten the emotional stakes. Now, as Joshua Mackey wrote in his review on Nerdist, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse reaffirms that animation is cinema. Folks, animation is not a genre, it's a medium. However, far too often animation gets relegated to the proverbial kids' table. It's taken less seriously than its live-action counterparts. And as noted cinema advocate and pre-show highlight Nicole Kidman once said, we come to this place for magic. And the magic conjured in the theater by Across the Spider-Verse was amazing, especially considering we have more than 20 years of Spider-Man movies, 32 MCU entries, and you know, whatever the hell's morbid on over in Sony's Spider-Man universe. The fact that Across the Spider-Verse can feel so fresh, so exhilarating, and so propulsive is a testament to its greatness. And that greatness should transcend outmoded ideas among the academy of what constitutes a best picture. Now, does Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse deserve to win Best Animated Feature at the Oscars like Into the Spider-Verse did? Well, the answer is yes, absolutely. But if other comic book films like Joker and Black Panther are worthy of Best Picture nominations, then a film as triumphant as Across the Spider-Verse absolutely is as well. Now, there is a precedent for animated films earning this type of accolade. Back in 1991, Beauty and the Beast scored a Best Picture nomination, as did Up in 2009 and Toy Story 3 in 2010. However, too often animated movies get snubbed from Hollywood's self-appointed highest accolade, even when they are much more deserving of celebration than the competition. So, will the Academy wind up giving Across the Spider-Verse its well-deserved flowers? Well, most likely, in a sense. It's a shoe-in to get nominated for Best Animated Film, and as of right now, it stands like a 99% chance of walking away with that statue. With all of that said, this is definitely a part two in a trilogy, and it's going to draw plenty of well-deserved comparisons to other iconic part twos, like The Empire Strikes Back, The Dark Knight, and even The Two Towers. But that also means it's not a complete story at this point in time. So perhaps we'll see Beyond the Spider-Verse get rewarded with a Best Picture nomination when that movie concludes the trilogy next year. For now, though, we're just trying our best to remain as optimistic as Miles is, because when it comes to this year's Best Picture and Best Animated Picture, who knows, maybe Spider-Man can do both. Anyway, folks, there you have it. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse hits theaters this Friday, and we have tons of explainers, deep dives, and other goodies for you over on Nerdist. And as I mentioned before, make sure you check out Joshua Mackey's full review on Nerdist, which I will link to in the description below. For now though, tell us, what do you think? Do you think a movie like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse can take home best picture? What's your favorite movie of the year so far? Let us know in the comments below, and for the latest and greatest in the world of pop culture, make sure you stay tuned to Nerdist.com.